Hello, welcome back to Bestowing the Brush. Today I have a person on that I'm very excited to talk to. I have followed Clara Lou for a little while. She uh, leads up something called Art Prof on lots of corners of the internet, um, which is a free website for learning visual arts. If you rewind a bit from 2007 to 2020, Clara was an adjunct professor at the Rhode Island School of Design, that's also known as RISD, uh, where she taught in the departments of foundation studies, printmaking, painting, and illustration. She's done so many things. Her, her list of accomplishments is pretty big, one of them being that she's written for the New York Times and she's done lectures at Brown University, but I encourage you to go to her website at artprof.org. Welcome, Clara, to the show with me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So I kind of wanted to center around what you do online because I think this is something that homeschool families would be very interested in using in their homes. So could you just quickly tell us a little bit of your backstory with that, how you how you came to create Art Prof and, and why? Well, a lot of it was recognizing the potential of the technology that was beginning to emerge online. I started thinking about Art Prof in 2014, and I was actually writing a column for the Huffington Post called Ask the Art Professor. And when I started that column, I thought, okay, a couple art school students might read this. But I was surprised that actually the audience was not art school students, and it was people from all over the world who had such different interests in the visual arts. I would get emails from people who needed help getting their social media presence started. I had people who would ask me, what's the point of color theory? People who would say, how do I become an art teacher? And I realized, wow, there's this huge audience out here that is really searching for reliable, trusted information, because while the internet gives us a huge, I think, capacity to gain so much information, a lot of it you have to wade through to find good content. And so I was writing this column for a while, and then it got to a point where I realized, you know something, there's only so much I can communicate through a written column, and visual arts is visual. So maybe mm -hmm. I need to get into the visual part of that in terms of delivering the content. And so I just started experimenting with video. And my initial thought actually was that it would be like a PBS old school cooking show where I would come on and I would <laughs> demonstrate things. It was very old school. But then when I realized the potential that YouTube had, to reach an audience without going through a larger media company, everything changed. And we ran a Kickstarter campaign, raised $30,000, and launched the website in 2017. And we've been around since then. That is so awesome. It's really cool when you get online and you find a need there, and then you realize it's way bigger than what you thought it was originally. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, well, I think I, I think I found you through an article and I'm not remembering where it may have been through art prof. Um, but it was back when I was trying to explain, um, about like, uh, some visual concepts and you had written a really good article about how your eye sees differently than a camera sees. So yes, lots of stuff on YouTube. Please check out Clara Lou there and all of the art prof 
staff. You have a few others who help you out. Do you want to kind of talk about how that's structured a little bit and what you guys try to do month to month? Well, all of the teaching artists that we have at ArtProf, there are five of them, Deepti, Jordan, Kat, Lauren, and Alex, they were all former students of mine from the Rhode Island School of Design. And so we had this classroom relationship that I really wanted to try to replicate online because what I love about the brick and mortar classroom, yes, it's about the teaching and making the work, but ultimately it boils down to relationships and getting to know people. And they were students who I had kept in touch with over a fairly long period of time. I trusted them, not just as artists, but as people. And that was very important for ArtProf because so much of it is making a personal connection with people. Because I think as a teacher, you may have so many great things to communicate, but if your students don't trust you and don't enjoy speaking with you, it doesn't matter how much expertise you have. And so the personalities in some ways became more important than the skills. I got very lucky that I have a staff that does both extremely well. But one of the reasons I brought them on was I didn't want it to be all about me. Because the thing about being an artist is that there's so many different techniques and genres. And I was like, what do I know about character design? What do I know about digital painting? Pretty much nothing. And so bringing on somebody like Jordan McCracken Foster, who specializes in character design and concept art and is a digital wizard, can run circles around me on Photoshop, was essential. Because if I didn't do that, I would be extremely limited in terms of what I could teach. And one of the things that we really try to push at ArtProf, which I think is almost the opposite of what a lot of people do online, is we say, there are so many things out there, go try them all and see what works for you. I think oftentimes a lot of YouTube channels are hyper-focused. So let's say we have this YouTube channel and I focus on realistic colored pencil portraits. And that's great if that's exactly what you want to learn, But I just am a jack of all trades. I love doing different media, different subjects. And we've been doing a lot of live streams where one of the teaching artists will teach me something that I'm terrible at. Like Deepthi showed me how to use animation in Procreate. I'd never animated anything before. And it's been fun because I get to be the student. That is really cool. And just the collaboration and you're kind of sharpening them and they're sharpening you. That's, I think, one thing I've appreciated about Art Prof is the sheer amount of topics that you cover. It's really eye-opening because not only is it a new topic, but it's your spin on it or it's Deep D's spin on it or it's um, Jordan's or whoever. And it's really cool to even hear you guys talk back and forth and disagree about things and have your own opinion and be kind of, you know, better at articulating your point of view um, on that. So that's, that's really cool. How did you come up with the current format where you do those live streams? Were you just kind of following what people were interested in? Um, Did COVID have, have a huge part in that? Tell me your thought process behind that. I mean, ArtProf has always been a gigantic work in progress. It never stays still. (laughs) And you have to change with the times. 10 years ago, I was telling people, yeah, I get on Facebook. And now I'm saying, nope, everybody's on Instagram now. The visual artists are not on Facebook anymore. That's a dead end. And we've had to do the exact same thing. A lot of it does have to do with the technology sometimes, 
there's formats that we want to do, but maybe are just too technically difficult for a long time. I really wanted to do group streams, but we couldn't figure out from a tech view how to do that. So we did a lot of one person streams, which just were not as fun. And now we use StreamYard, which honestly, I don't know why people in the world don't know about StreamYard because it is like a miracle live streaming software. I am their biggest fan. It was such a game changer when we switched to StreamYard. And a lot of it is just trial and error saying, hey, let's try this. Oh, that bombed. Let's not do that again. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's really not straightforward and it can be frustrating for that reason. And I am lucky that I have a staff that doesn't mind getting whiplash from all the changes we're making all the time. But I think that projects online have to be that way. I don't think that they can find one way of doing it and then just do that on repeat. I think you have to keep your content fresh. You have to react to what your audience wants. And oftentimes I really don't know what they want because at first I thought, oh, well, maybe we should be doing more obscure techniques or something more advanced, but actually people wanted the basics. And I was surprised by that. But I guess a lot of it is that a lot of the basics content that's out there, it's all piecemeal. It's a little here, a little there. It doesn't go very much in depth. And so what we started developing recently were these curriculums. So we have a basics curriculum, a comics curriculum, illustration, painting, drawing, and we'll eventually develop them for everything. And we also have these tracks, which are structured sequences of video lessons and prompts for people who want to do the curriculum, but maybe don't know how to get started. That's oftentimes the biggest challenge for people. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that we started, I would say, about a year ago. So this is all fairly recent. We're still building content, trying to get that library really beefed up and really trying to organize the content because that's the hardest part is the delivery. Making the content is not hard. I mean, I could just do a dump of content for 50 hours straight if I wanted to, but nobody would listen to it if it was formatted that way. And so the biggest challenge for us is not the content or what should we talk about, but what is the delivery? Is it a three minute video? Is it a two hour live stream? Is it an edited video? Is it something that's an article that is actually accompanied by a video? And that's very challenging. We're always trying to troubleshoot that. Oh yeah. And like you said, just finding the platform that is easy for your group to use, but also what your your listeners and viewers don't have a hard time getting onto doing. Cause yeah, what you what you were saying about access is very important. So I appreciate that you've spent a lot of time organizing all these things and putting these tracks together. That will be I think where I send some of you, if you would like to see some of those to see their perspective on drawing and all of that basic stuff that she, that Claire was just talking about, I think that would be a really good resource for you. I certainly have benefited from those and the live streams are great too. I actually wrote down this stream yard because this sounds really awesome. It is so worth it. We don't just use it for live streams. We use it when we're recording portfolio critiques that people purchase. We use it for our staff calls. It's incredibly versatile. And it's the reason why we were able to do live two-person draw-alongs. Because before that, it was just one artist demoing live stream. And that's typically what you see on YouTube, is one artist doing their thing. But we have two artists side by side. And oftentimes, they're drawing the same thing. But then you get to see two different takes 
on the same topic. And that's our way of saying, you know what, there's no one way to learn how to do things. And I do think sometimes when you have one instructor, there is a tendency for people to watch that stream and say, oh, that's the way to do it. But that's not really true. There's a lot of different ways to do things. And my thought between all of ArtProf is just to say, listen, when you're first getting started, it's all about exposure. It's not about mastery. Everybody thinks, oh, well, I have to get really good at this one thing. And yeah, ultimately, that may be where you want to go. But I find a lot of the issue with the content people are exposed to is it's very limited. And a lot of people watched my colored pencil stream and they said, oh my gosh, I've never seen somebody use colored pencil like that because the typical way to use colored pencil, it's very hyper-realistic. It's like super sharp, ultra detailed drawings. And here I am with my cave woman, blunt, <laughs> unsharpened colored pencil <laughs> instruments making these extremely primitive marks and a lot of people were just really surprised by that. So I like that I can provide another point of view that maybe isn't seen as much online. That has got to be just something that people come back to see. I've noticed that you've really, in your live streams, you're really good at engaging both the audience and who you have on staff and trying to get everybody um, really involved with what you're doing. So how do you nurture that community of people online? I know there's people that may not be artists that are just watching to see these artists work. And some are going through some of your tracks or some are in art school. So can you talk about how you try to unite these different points of view and do your work that way? Yeah, it's really tough because the way a 15-year-old engages with learning online, it's not the same as somebody who's 75. And so a lot of the delivery is just providing options because some people really want the whole two hour live stream beginning to end. But some people are saying, oh gosh, I can't watch that. That's too long. And so what we've been trying to do is for the more popular live streams that more people want, I'll actually cut a three minute version. So that way you have the option to learn it quickly or to watch the whole thing. And oftentimes people who watch the three minute version say, oh, I want to watch the long version now. And so giving people many different ways to absorb the content, I think is very helpful. We also have on artprof.org, every video that's there has a video walkthrough. And that's just a list of bullet points. These are the things that you can take away from the video. We also have made all of our Google slideshows available. So for most of the live streams that are discussions, we will have slideshows that take forever to put together. And I thought, why shouldn't I make these available? I spent so much time on them. It seems silly not to share it with people. And so those are also nice too, because sometimes you don't want to watch a video. You just want to get through the visuals, especially things like the anatomy streams and the linear perspective lectures. A lot of those are diagrams. And sometimes watching a video is not as efficient. And so just providing all these different options and consolidating them onto artprof.org I think is very helpful because YouTube is great and a lot of people can navigate YouTube with their eyes closed, but sometimes it's hard to find what you want quickly, getting the overview. Like a lot of people say to me, well, I want your portfolio critiques of BFA portfolios. I don't know where to find them. 
And instead of saying, oh, search on YouTube, I can say, oh, this one link on rprof.org lists all of them. And you can see every single link all at once within two seconds. You can't do that on YouTube. And so having a significant website that offers all that information in a boiled down manner, I think is very important in conjunction with YouTube. Yeah, that is super smart and very helpful. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that several of the listeners might be interested in attending art school. Um, a lot of a lot of these uh, people are ages middle school or even elementary school, and maybe they know they want to be an artist or someone who's in high school starting to prep their portfolio for art school. And I went to a university art, fine arts program, so... I know that you have spent a lot of time in like the art school atmosphere. Can you tell us maybe is is artprof.org sort of competing with something like an art school? Or do you think that there's a certain type of person that would do really great in art school? And then who should instead decide to not do that and to work through your videos and your curricula? Well, I think... What I was surprised by was that people in art school use art prof a lot. And I just thought to myself, <laughs> aren't you guys the last people on the planet that need to use our resources? Because you're at these wonderful programs that are rich and have phenomenal faculty and a wonderful artistic community. But I think what I found in speaking to a lot of those art school students is that art school doesn't teach you everything. And oftentimes what we end up doing for an art school student is we fill in the blanks. So let's say a student is in a drawing class and they're assigned to do an ink wash drawing. Maybe the teacher didn't have time to do a full out demo in class, which is often the case. And they just want to know, oh, what ink should I use? Maybe they can't email the professor in time. They look at our video. We have a supply list with all the links and they say, oh, now I know how to do it. And so I do not see us as a replacement. We can't. We're not in person. And while there are many benefits to learning online, in person, you can't recreate that. There's just no chance. You can get close to it, but it's just not the same thing. And so I've always seen ArtProf as a supplement. We're there to give you a little more. For example, if you have a student in high school, sometimes you got a class of 25 kids. You can't talk to everybody as much as you'd like to. And ultimately, in a lot of high school classes, or any class for that matter, there are always some students who really need a lot of support. And sometimes the consequence of that, and this is not the fault of the teacher, some of the students who are very self-motivated and who pick things up very quickly without a lot of support, they don't get challenged as much. And so I actually have had a lot of high school teachers provide us as an option to say, hey, this is a student who really wants more. Let's give them this. And then that's a way for me to provide content for them that maybe fits their learning style a little bit more. Because not every student is a very independent learner. Some are, but many are not. And so I think that we are a great option for students who maybe are not getting the challenge that they're wanting in class. That is a really good idea for those teachers to use you as a resource. If I, I just remember going through high school, I would have loved to have something like that. I would have taken that and run. And Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's like something that's so easy 
relatively for the the teacher to prescribe like hey do this later and then come back and show me yeah um and so here's another question that i get often is what are a couple of mistakes that someone prepping their portfolio or is like about to go to college what are two mistakes that they make that you think are pretty big that you would have just said nope don't do this do something else um to help them prep for that? I think the first one would be feedback. And it's almost a two-part situation where number one, a lot of students do not have access to professionals with the expertise to provide them a professional critique. And what they end up doing is trying to get feedback on their portfolio from their mom. And even if your mom's an artist, I can say this as a mom, you're just so biased. You cannot provide the objective feedback that your kid is wanting. I know this from my own kids. Sometimes they'll say, give me a critique. And no matter what I say, they're mad at me about something. (laughs) (laughs) So I just am like, no, I'm not talking to you about that. This is not helpful. And so a lot of students, they get frustrated because like, well, my mom told me, I'm like, don't listen to her. Okay. I know she means well, she's trying so hard to help you, but she's just not in the position to be able to do that. Even if you're a well-experienced high school teacher, you're just not because you're their mom. It's just not the same thing. Or even, oh, my cousin or, oh, my sister. That's not a good idea. And so the other part of the feedback, not only do people do that, but they don't get feedback early enough. And so what a lot of students end up saying, well, oh, I'm not ready for feedback. I need to finish it first and then Mm -hmm. I'll get feedback. And what they don't realize is that sometimes there's something really early in the process of, say, making a painting that can fundamentally mess you up no matter how much longer you work on it. Like adding another six hours to a painting that is just fundamentally problematic is not going to be good. And so if you catch a student at that point, at the very beginning when they're making that fundamental issue then you can really do something about it. And so oftentimes when I review portfolios and I'm seeing these finished pieces, I'm saying, listen, the whole premise of this is not going to work for you. You need to just go in this other direction. And so by then it's almost too late. And so people are getting feedback a week before the deadline. And I'm like, there's no chance you could ever go back and make fundamental changes like that. At that stage, the time is so limited. You can only make cosmetic changes. And so I have been really pushing for students to say, listen, a portfolio is not, oh, I need 20 pieces. I'm going to make 20 pieces. I'm like, no, you're going to make 40 and you're going to pick the 20 best ones out of there. I don't know anybody who could just pump out 20 great pieces in a row. I could never do that. There's always so many pieces that are just total duds or I got frustrated with this and it's not going anywhere. And so a lot of students don't realize that a portfolio is a long-term process and it's one that takes several months. And when you're trying to do this shotgun one month portfolio, it's not going to be fun (laughs) or effective. Yeah. What a lot of pressure too. That's, I would almost feel like that would really kill your motivation is to have all that pressure. It does. Uh, Yeah. Right there at the end. So, okay. Very good advice. Another That was critique, getting feedback. And then is there another big one that you see a lot? I think students not being willing to try something new. 
So for example, if I were to give you the cliche, typical art school portfolio version, it would be a hyper-realistic pencil portrait with a blank background, a couple of paintings with still lives that the student clearly was not that into but felt obligated to create, and maybe some pictures that were copied pretty blatantly from a photo without a lot of interpretation. And a lot of students say, well, I don't know anything about 3D. And I say, well, just do it anyway. <laughs> like most people do not have 3D work in their portfolio. So just having it, period, is going to make you stand out. And we actually did a stream recently on different formats and media that we don't see very often in art school portfolios. And I say, listen, if you have a print, a linoleum block print in your portfolio, so few people have that. And it does a couple of hmm. things. I think it diverses it diversifies your experience as an artist. It never hurts you to learn something new and different. And also, you're just not going to look like the cliche because the fact of the matter is when you're an admissions officer, you're looking at thousands of portfolios. And I'm sorry to say this, but after a while, they all start to look the same. How many realistic pencil self-portraits with blank backgrounds can you look at before you just start to lump them all into one group? And so if you're looking at that, so many of them are coming through and then all of a sudden you see a cardboard sculpture, you go, whoa, that is different. That's how you distinguish yourself. But the thing is, a lot of students will say things to me like, well, I really want to paint. Why should I bother doing 3D? That has nothing to do with painting. And I say, you don't know that. Don't make that assumption that that is not related or that it won't be a good experience because I totally did that when I was an art school student. It's like, I don't need that. That's not related. And then I did it and I was like, wow, it actually is. And I loved sculpture so much after taking this required 3D design class that I thought I didn't need. I did an MFA in sculpture. Wow. Just goes to show you that you you might be missing out on something really important. You never know. Until you try it, don't eliminate that option. I like to tell moms that variety is good. And even though it's scary, maybe to introduce something new when you feel like you've you know, gotten a good rhythm on one thing. Um, but yeah, I think there's such like humility to be had with trying something new and failing at it, quite frankly, and then yep. <laughs> pivoting on that. And then, you know, now, now you, now you see the road clearly because you made that mistake, you know, that type of thing. And that failure is so critical as an artist. And I know a lot of students get very frustrated with themselves because they say, oh my God, I made a bad drawing. I hate this drawing. And I say to them, you have to do that. <laughs> That's a requirement. If you don't feel that way about at least a third or even a half of your drawings, I mean, for me, it's more like 75%. You're either delusional or you're just denying what is an essential requirement of being an artist. Because I think social media has really done a major disservice for younger artists. Because you go on Instagram, you look at these artists who are professionals, been doing this for decades, and just every post, they're just popping out a masterpiece. And so it provides this really artificial view that that's what being an artist is. And I say to them, listen, they are totally weeding out all the terrible sketches, all the failures, because everybody's out to show how perfect they are on social media. And so that's why 
an art prof, I do think it's important for people to see me doing crappy gesture drawings and saying, mm-hmm. you know what, Clara's okay with that. I should be okay with that. And so I have made peace with the fact that most of the stuff I do in a live stream is really not that great. Once in a while, I get lucky and I get something I really do like. But we did this stream recently on doing two-minute gesture drawings of horses. I mean, I had ones that had horses with five legs. I had ones (laughs) where you're like, what is this? But they have to see that. They have to see me falling on their face to be able to say, hey, it's okay for me to do that too. Yeah. It, it's always so helpful for me to see that. It's it's the process. It, we, we always just look for the end product, but it really is the process. There are moms who have told me that they want to get back into art after they see me doing it and trying to teach my kids and bring them along for it. And a lot of them were told by a teacher uh, growing up, well, you're just not artistic. What would Thanks. you say... Yeah. What would you say to that parent, that mom who's wanting to introduce this into their family culture, into their school life, but they just feel like they got a brick dropped on their head early on? What's your best encouragement for that? It's never too late to start. And I think it's extremely common. There are so many people in the art prof community who literally have said to me that exact story. I mean, they all have their own variations on it, but I'm finding there are so many people who come back to art, people who would say, oh, I loved doing it when I was in high school, but then I got married and I had all these kids and I was working all these jobs and I didn't have time, but now my kids are older or maybe they're retired and now I finally have time to do it. And a lot of people will say to me, oh, geez, I'm so behind. And they're all these 18 year olds and they can draw so much better than me. And I say, well, listen, okay, what is better, really? Better is not really the case. You don't get to rank artworks. There's no Olympic gold medal that you're trying to win. (laughs) And I think it's phenomenal that people do that later in life because I have to say there is a culture now with high school students that they have to know what they want to do when they're 16. I need to know Mm -hmm. I want to be an illustrator and I'm going to go to art school for illustration and I'm going to do illustration. And that's great if you want to do that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but so many artists started with something else and became artists later and were wonderful, well-rounded people because of that. My favorite example is Steven Hillenberg, who created SpongeBob. He was a marine biologist before he started SpongeBob. I mean, I don't think it's an accident that that's related to SpongeBob. And I don't think he would have come up with that if he hadn't had that career. Robert Lang, who is an internationally renowned origami artist, was a scientist and had decades of publications. One day dropped it all and said, I'm going to do origami. And everybody thought he was nuts. But now he's done just revolutionary things with technology and origami. And so when people say to me, oh, I'm so embarrassed that my degree is not in art and yet I want to do artists. I'm like, are you kidding? That makes you awesome. You should milk it. You should tell everybody that you have a degree in linguistics. Like I think it's (laughs) great. So don't think for a second that that is a drawback at all. And then the other thing I would say 
it's not like athletics where you have to retire when you're 40 because your body just can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, Matisse was in bed cutting collages. Degas was almost blind and switched to sculpture because he couldn't do the paintings anymore. You can really keep doing it forever and ever and ever. And plus, who cares? (laughs) Like if you have fun doing it and it enriches your life, that's the most important thing. Like I had this student many years ago, it was in RISD Project Open Door, which was a weekend class I taught for high school students who were underserved in Rhode Island. And of course, I've had students of many different ranges of skills and abilities. And and this one student I had, I mean, this is no exaggeration. He really had so little. I'd never seen a student who had so few skills. He had a hard time with scissors. And this wasn't because of any disability or anything. He just Mm -hmm. really could not do a lot of stuff. But you know what? He showed up every week. He was such a chatterbox. He was so happy to be there. And I thought to myself, you know, a lot of students would really be down about their skills and maybe not want to come to class or be embarrassed. He did not care. He just wanted to be there and make (laughs) stuff. And I was like, you go, you're awesome. It's really refreshing to be around people that are just happy to be there. Just whatever. Bring it on. (laughs) Totally. You you have to have spaces like that in your life that are these little sandboxes where it's okay to just not be that good at it, but to love it anyway. Yes, I agree. I'm so glad you said that. Thank you. All right. So kind of going a little more philosophical here. Did you experience in art school that there were some objective measures and standards for beauty there? And is that kind of held up as a virtue? Or would you say that more of the concept-heavy stuff or the stuff that really elicits a shock value, does that more win out in terms of attention and notoriety? It's odd because for places that are supposed to be about creativity and innovation and the entrepreneurial spirit, they're really not very open-minded places. I wouldn't say it's so much about beauty as much as it is people really scoffing at certain topics or means of working that they maybe think are out of date or not relevant anymore. And there are things like that. For example, sometimes I see people and they're just painting like the Renaissance. And I'm like, okay, that's fun if you want to do that. But if you want to be relevant today, painting the Renaissance is not really the way to do it. I mean, it was very cool in the Renaissance, but not right now. You have to start to respond to what really people are living right now in the contemporary world. But I know that a lot of it is that people go to art school and then they find that they're embarrassed to do certain things. For example, when I was in art school, I really wanted to be a figurative painter. That was my passion. I loved painting portraits. And I was in the painting department for one semester. I cannot tell you the amount of flack I got for making paintings that even looked a little bit recognizable. And I'm not a photorealistic painter, but I did paint stuff that looked like people, wasn't abstract. And I really felt bad about it. I was like, I am not as cool as the other people who are doing Mm. this. And it wasn't until I switched into the illustration department, which did tend to have a more representational style 
in terms of the painting that the students were doing there in terms of what the faculty pushed. And that was a better place for me. Even though I wasn't into illustration, that program gave me the skills that I really wanted to have. There's other things like certain subjects. If you painted something that was even a little bit sentimental, people felt embarrassed about it. And I just feel bad about that because I get a lot of students who have graduated from art school and they come to me later and they say, well, I I don't want to do this because I, I don't think people will like it. Like I had this one student who felt very pressured to do all these types of pieces, but then on her Instagram, she'd do these little sketches of birds. And I said to her, I really like your bird sketches. And I know you think they're just for fun and not your quote, serious work, but maybe you should try that. And that's what bothers me about art school is that people are oftentimes not encouraged to do what they really truly like. And they separate the work that they enjoy and just do quote, just for fun from, ooh, my, this is my serious work. This is the work that really matters. I don't think it has to be that separate. I think it's okay to indulge. It's just people are very judgmental in art school. And you won't just get that from students. You'll get it from professors who will look down on you for doing certain things. For example, in a lot of illustration departments, freelance editorial illustration is held up as a holy grail. Like if you do freelance editorial illustration, you have hit the top. But if you do comics, okay, that, that's not really the holy grail. And I had a student who said, a professor said to them, oh, you figured out comics. You don't need to do that anymore. And that's a bummer to hear something like that. Hmm. So maybe overall, just uh, the atmosphere of scoffing or envy or competition, or you're not in the cool club. I mean, that's not helpful. No, and it's a major problem because I think what happens is a lot of students come out of art school thinking there's one way to be an illustrator. There's one way to be a fine art painter. And I talk to them, I say, listen, the world is so much bigger than you think it is, than what you have been told. And I totally was a sucker for that. I fell for all of that because the goal of an artist in academia, if you have a checklist, is okay, you have to become a full-time professor, you have to get tenure, be in some museum collections, do artist residencies, get grants, and show in a New York City Chelsea gallery. It's like, how many people do you know really can check <laughs> off every single item on that list? And I remember I had been in academia for about 10 years. I looked at that list and I thought, I don't have any of these things. I've never won a grant. I don't have even, I'm not even tenure track. Like I was an adjunct for so, so long. I'd never done an artist residency. And because I invested my whole career into achieving that checklist, I just felt like garbage. I was like, oh my gosh, I must be terrible. I haven't done any of these things. But the thing is, now I'm doing art profs. Nobody told me to do this. In fact, I got so (laughs) much crap from my colleagues in academia for doing it. I had to hide it from people. I didn't want anybody to know I was on YouTube. And I cannot believe that RISD would scoff at somebody for being on YouTube. YouTube is such a huge platform. Everybody uses it. The potential for growth is phenomenal. It's challenging for sure. But I just cannot believe that a lot of art schools would just totally write off whole 
opportunities and genres and say, nope, there's this one way to do it. And if you don't do it, you're a failure. And that's bad for the students because a lot of them do come to me and say, Clara, I'm terrible. I failed. I'm a horrible artist. And I'm like, no, you need to step outside of that extremely specific prescribed definition of success that you were given. It's not true. There's so many other versions. That is crazy. That's crazy to me that, and it sounds like what you said, it's just this, like, they're just in this track. It's like this one-way track in their mind of this is what an art school student should do. Whereas now I would think, wouldn't it be more helpful to have like an entire semester or something on how to build a good YouTube video that will help people see you more if you really want to excel with art in a career like if that's if that's something that exists in the world now let's take advantage of it and let's really that's its own media and its own art craft in itself so i would think gosh yeah use use everything to your advantage and it's funny because i confess i was skeptical about social media when it came out but I have former students who have built entire careers on Instagram, and we really are seeing concrete results from that. I think the problem with social media or YouTube or whatever you're using, it does really feel like a shot in the dark for a lot of people. You just feel like you're putting this stuff out there. It's going to black hole. Nobody's seeing it. And it is like that for a long time. It was like that for us. I remember when we first started on YouTube with live streams, you're like, oh my God, 10 people are watching. Amazing. <laughs> and now on average, I look at it like, oh my God, only 60 people were watching. That's really low. <laughs> so you have to realize that all this stuff, it's a long haul. It's a marathon. It's not, oh, you go viral. In fact, I don't think I'd want to go viral because I think you're not engaging with an audience that truly is invested in you. You're getting people who just found you by accident. And I would much rather have a smaller audience that cares about our content is engaged than 2 million people who eh, kind of like me. Totally quality over quantity, really, yeah. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, okay. I had a question about imposter syndrome. You, I'm sure, talk about this. Um, this is for someone who's been practicing art for a while. Maybe they've gotten into a rut or maybe they have just they are shooting like in the dark. They are putting content out there and not getting feedback. And then it's causing them to feel really, uh, you know, imposter syndrome. Can you maybe define that for the listeners if they don't know and they have it and now they can find a definition for the feelings they're having? And then what what would be your advice for someone to get out of that mindset? Yeah. So imposter syndrome is basically when you think you are not good enough to be doing a certain thing. Let's say I get a teaching job at a college and I don't have a lot of experience and you think to yourself, I don't deserve this job. I don't have the skills that are necessary to do it. And it's very alarming <laughs> when you're in a situation and you think you don't deserve it because it's such a shot to your self-esteem. And I think a lot of us can't perform very well when we don't feel at least some degree of confidence in our own skill set. I think everybody feels that, myself included. I still feel that way from time to time about certain things. And a lot of the times I just am faking it and I'm hoping nobody notices. <laughs> I mean, it has gotten better. <laughs> but I mean, I remember 
one of the ways that I combated that was, wow, you can change things if you package it the right way. Because there was one time, this is way, way back when we first got started, we had done an in-person event at a Blix store, which is a retail store in the US. And we said, okay, we'll set up a table and we'll talk to people and they can bring their stuff and we can critique it. And we were all excited because we were like, oh, we're at the Blix store. This looks really official. And so we had a four hour event. I'm not joking. Three people came to talk to us. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, this is such a bust. Like, I was so depressed afterwards. It's so dumb because just one event. But I was really frustrated. But I had taken some nice photos of me and Lauren smiling at the booth. (laughs) I put them online and people said, whoa, you guys had an event at Flick. I'm like, yes, we did. (laughs) People were so impressed. I'm like, just because we took a nice photo. Nobody knew what a bust that event was. And so I think imposter syndrome, a lot of it is, I think, lacking support from a community. So for example, at our prof, we have a discord server. I'm in there all day. I'm way too much. I probably would get more work done if I was not hanging there so much, but I love talking to people in there. So it's hard to stay away. And I think a lot of artists do work in a vacuum and on social media, nobody comes on and says, I'm having a hard time. I don't think I deserve this. I have imposter. Nobody says that. Nobody wants to admit that they're struggling. But the thing is in our discord server, people do. Because the Discord server, it feels more like a little clubhouse. I mean, not in an exclusive way, but in that it's a safer space. Because I think sometimes on Instagram, it just feels so public. And it's you presenting yourself to the world. And in the Discord, oftentimes we have these voice sessions. And somebody will come in and say, hey, I have this opportunity. I'm going to show at this exhibition. But I feel like the other artists are better than me and I don't deserve this. And I say to people listening, hey, how many of you have felt this way? Every single person. Me, me, me. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's like we all can confess to having that feeling. And then when you realize, oh, I'm not crazy. This is what everybody else is walking around thinking. That's validation to say I'm not the only one. And so one thing that people I think have really noticed about our content is we don't just teach technique. We talk about the mental health struggles that a lot of people have. I mean, artists have so many problems. Like we're so (laughs) worried about everything all the time. And I know when I was at RISD, a lot of the time I wasn't telling students which charcoal to use. I was sitting there saying, hey, you got to keep going. Just pick yourself up and go. And honestly, sometimes when I type things in Discord, I just type a little comment. I'll type something motivational, like, oh, you should keep going. I know this drawing wasn't the best, but just do it again. You don't realize how much of an impact that one sentence can have on somebody. Because what I've discovered about a lot of artists online, we just want to be seen. We want to be acknowledged by people because that's the hardest part is feeling invisible, feeling that you're there, you're shouting to the rooftops, hey, I'm here, and nobody's listening to you. And so when you get that one comment from somebody who says, keep going, it's, it's okay, it's kind of huge. And I think that's what we've worked really hard at ArtProf to do. We have all kinds of staff replying to YouTube comments and Instagram and Discord. I mean, I wish we had double the staff to do that because I know how valuable it is to the community. But 
people need to be seen and for people to say, it's all right that you feel this way. Yeah, that is so helpful. I know that I generally feel that ethos when I'm in one of your lives or I have popped on your Discord and I will admit I don't really know how to use it, but I was just like, wow, there's something here and this is working for people. This is cool. Um, But it's, yeah, I think a lot of what you said is just needing the validation or the encouragement because probably people like you and I are usually the ones encouraging people all the time and pushing them and, and wanting them to keep building their skills. But then oftentimes it leaves us feeling like, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm plateauing right now. Why, why is this happening? And sometimes it does take that gentle or hard nudge from (laughs) someone who loves you (laughs) or someone who understands where you're coming from, what you're doing to kind of, yeah, yeah. Hey, get up. Get up again because it's it's worth it. And you know it's worth it. And just keep going. Even though you can't see the end, it's there. And I've had people say to me later, you know, I was going to stop doing this series, but then you told me to keep going and here I am. And I think to myself, you know what, if that one sentence can be the difference between somebody quitting a project and to keep going with it, that's really worth my time. Because I do know as an artist, sometimes you do all this work and it just feels like, oh, I put all this work into this Instagram post and nobody cared. It didn't go anywhere. The thing I will say to people who are struggling with that, it does go somewhere. It's just, it takes time. (laughs) I mean, like a lot of people, you might look at our YouTube channel and say, oh my gosh, you have 110,000 subscribers. You guys must be rocking it. And I'm like, Sort of, but we struggle with a lot of things. We struggle with budget. We struggle with marketing and getting the word out there. That's the hardest part. The content is easy by comparison. And so no matter how big you are in terms of numbers, there's challenges at every level. I mean, I remember for the longest time, we were just shouting from the rooftops and nobody cared about what we had to say. And yet now... I get very stressed because I feel like I have a responsibility to our audience to make sure that I'm giving them the support that they need. I'm watching my step about what I say, but also trying to be blunt about my opinion. And so the challenges don't really end. They're just different. That's, I think, really, really something to think about. That's, that's really good. Well, to that point in art school with all of these skill building types of things that we're doing that are concrete. What I, I have seen that you have some videos in Art Prof in the YouTube channel about marketing and about the business side of art. Mm-hmm. I, I get those questions a lot. They, you know, homeschool parents are really looking to how is my child going to be prepared for the world? What, you know, is an art degree going to set them up for? Um, an art business that they want to have, if they want to own a gallery, or if they want to show their art, or if they want to be an illustrator, what is your advice for someone who needs to also have some business savvy to get their feet off the ground? And even, I mean, now like high schoolers, you can start a business when you're in high school, you can do anything you want. (laughs) So, (laughs) and make triple the salary of your parents. Totally. (laughs) Totally. I think I would recommend don't try to plan too much in advance because, oh, I think about the animation technology my husband studied in the 90s. None of that's relevant anymore. (laughs) And so sometimes students will say to me, well, 
shouldn't I learn this software? I'm like, you can, but maybe by the time you graduate college, people will have moved on to something else. And so I think if you're in art school, yeah, you can pay attention to that stuff, but don't invest too much time in it. Because the way I see these social media platforms, it's almost like each one is a foreign country. So if you're in Facebook, it's like, okay, I'm in France. I've been here for a couple of years. I know my way around. I know the language. And then all of a sudden people say, oh, there's this new thing called Instagram. You got to move to Russia. And then you're like, I'm in Russia. What do I do? (laughs) Like Sometimes we feel that disoriented when we have to learn a new platform. And I think that that takes a lot of willingness to change. And that is something higher education has never been good at. I think the COVID pandemic, I mean, it made a lot of academics learn long overdue technology that has been around for a long time. Just nobody bothered to actually see the potential or to actually use it. And so I think a lot of it is much more the mindset that you take that you are willing to do something that maybe you don't know if it's going to work because the whole thing about art school, there's this big push for, oh, take risks, experiment. But it's remarkable how a lot of people who are in academia do not want to do those things. (laughs) They're like, well, I've always known how to do this. I've always taught my course this way. Therefore, nothing is ever going to change. And I'm like, you can't be that way and claim to be a creative, innovative person. It doesn't work like that. And so I think, yes, you'll have to learn the nitty gritty of taxes and all that stuff, but you'll figure that out when you get there. I think sometimes there is such a thing as trying to learn something before it's even relevant. And then by the time it is relevant, it's not the same. And so Mm. it's very hard to figure out exactly how to approach that. I would just say, be a sponge and just be nice because (laughs) I know that's like such common advice, but you never know who you could encounter. Maybe it's somebody you're standing in line at the cafeteria. That person could be hiring you in a couple of years. It doesn't feel that way, but it has totally happened to me. And I think that those connections and that networking, it's way more valuable than taking a tax course. That's straightforward. You, you'll do that, but you never know who you're going to meet. That is such great advice. Just yes. stay open to learning. Don't ever close off those neurons in your brain. Always be hungry. When I started Art Prof, I didn't even know how to take apart a tripod. In fact, I got yelled at once by my husband. And what are you doing with this tripod? I'm like, I don't know. And so <laughs> I'd never edited video, no sound design, I'd never shot video and I thought I want to do this. And then I realized at one point I was like, you know, if Clara, if you don't learn to do this stuff, it's just not going to happen. So I taught myself premiere. I'm still not great at sound design, but I know enough to get things done. And I'm a self-taught video artist. I didn't go to art school for this. And so this idea that, oh, I graduated art school. I'm done learning. That is not true. You're going to keep learning your whole life. I'm, I'm right there with you. I had to learn premiere. I had to learn, yeah, setting up camera angles. I didn't do a ton of photography in school, Did definitely didn't do video. So yeah, it's everything is a learning curve from here on out. Just expect that everybody, (laughs) you're going to have to learn new things. All right. Well, I do want to wrap up here and respect your time. I'm so thankful that you've come on the show and talked with us. So thank you. 
where thank can you for you... having me yeah of course this is a great opportunity for people to hear from you i'm so excited for it where do you want to send these homeschool families to get involved with artprof.org or any track you would recommend people who want to learn drawing because that this podcast really centers around drawing and and watercolor painting um where would you like them to go looking for you well we're on youtube just look up art prof and we live stream three days a week so that's the easiest way to have a close interaction with us and artprof.org has all of our tracks all of our curriculums I think the drawing track is a great place to start because the materials are really simple. We try to structure the lessons so they're not too overwhelming and anybody can do it. We have the track structured so that you don't need fancy materials. In fact, we say, hey, if you want to do the painting track in watercolor, do it. You want to do it in oil, fine. All of the prompts are made to fit any media. And then I would say, if you really want to hang out with us, you can join our Discord server. And I know Discord is very new for a lot of people. It's not the easiest to navigate immediately, but think about it as a trip to Austria. You're just gonna come, you'll learn the language, <laughs> you'll figure it yeah. out. <laughs> so cool. Well, I'm so glad we got the chance to talk today. Thank you for recommending all your resources and for pointing people in the right direction. Thank you for all that you shared with us today and your expertise and your encouragement. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we will talk to you later, Clara. Thank you. 